You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Tell, tell somebody next to you that you really appreciate them. Really appreciate you. We might need to put some more seats out for Easter Sunday, I think. <clears throat> so, thanks for being here today, you guys. We're really, really glad you're here. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Andy Squires. I'm on staff here at Queen City Church. And I'm playing Thursday night at the Visualite Theater, so you guys should come... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit on the stage with Julie Clark and Mark Mathis. And um, if you don't know Mark, he, he's like one of the greatest songwriters to ever come out of the city of Charlotte. So, and I think it's been a while since he's played live. So I think, you know, I'm going to be really good, but Mark would probably be better. So make sure you come see Mark and Julie. Have you got Julie's new record yet? You better get Julie's new record because, man takes a lot of guts to make good art, you know? So we love it when artists do good work, good risky work. Well, let's, let's pray together. We've been welcoming the Holy Spirit on a consistent basis, and we want to do it again for this moment right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for the gift of life. We thank you for this time and space that you've drawn us into. We don't take it for granted. We're not waiting to get out of it soon. We are here to hear from you right now. And we, we welcome you right now. <clears throat> and Lord, here's what I want to ask you. I want to ask you to rob us of every cynicism that might be in our hearts right now. I want, I want to ask you to rob us of confusion that we might be in. I want you to rob us right now of... Mm, the word cynicism just keeps coming back. Lord, take that away from us so we can really hear what you have to say. What you're saying to your church in this day and in this moment. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right. The title of my message today is The Surpassing Worth of Knowing Christ. And so I'm going to start with this. I remember when I was a kid seeing pictures of the Grand Canyon in school textbooks and seeing film footage of it on TV. When I was in seventh grade, my mom and my stepdad, they took me and my brothers on a road trip to the Grand Canyon. And I remember the feeling of getting out of the car in the parking lot, looking around and still wondering what the big deal was. I could not see it from the parking lot, so I started following the signs to the edge of the canyon and walking up to it for the very first time, I became awestruck by what I saw. 
my breath was taken away. None of the pictures that I had seen of it did it justice. None of the videos of it could accurately communicate the stunning grandeur of the depth and the width and the height or the depth length of that ancient canyon. I realized that though the knowledge that I had about it previously was accurate, my knowledge was no substitute for experiencing it. Any of y'all been to the Grand Canyon before? I mean, I, heard, I saw postcards about it. I heard people talk about it. Conversations about it don't do it justice. You can't quite understand it until you're standing on the edge of it. So knowledge about God is good. Thinking and reading And wrestling over different concepts about God is important to do because it is good to grow in your understanding of who he is. But we can never be satisfied with our knowledge about God when we were created to actually know him. Are you with me so far? Paul the Apostle was a person who had, at one point in his life, had a lot of knowledge about God. According to his own words in Philippians 3, nobody knew more about God than he did. Nobody was better at having knowledge, accurate knowledge, about the one true God than Paul. And when it came to living perfectly according to the law, nobody was better at it than Paul. But he says this in Philippians 3. I once thought about, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value or the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. Paul was a a very, very smart man. But after Paul became a follower of Jesus, he only had one motivation in his life. He was not motivated to become a wise philosopher or a great theologian, although he was both of those things. He wasn't driven to become a super spiritual guru. All that Paul preached and did in his ministry was driven by one single motivation, knowing Christ. Everything that Paul was about, all that he's explaining in every epistle that he's written in the New Testament, is motivated by one thing, and it is knowing Christ himself. It was his life's great compulsion. 
while other people were spending their lives looking at pictures and movies of the Grand Canyon, Paul was driving himself to Arizona so that he could stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon and experience it for himself. All right? The invitation that God made to Paul is also the invitation that is being made to you and I. We are a people who are going from knowing about God to knowing him ourselves. The zenith of your Christian life isn't gaining more knowledge about God. It is primarily knowing him so that you can walk with him. It's a good thing to know about God. But what he has really invited us into is a life of knowing him and experiencing him. Knowing him and experiencing him. In fact, you could say that God created us to be able to know and experience him. You're actually hardwired for this. You're hardwired to walk by faith, to live in a trusting, experiential relationship with Christ. Why would we be satisfied with looking at pictures of the Grand Canyon if we can actually experience it? Why be satisfied with knowing about God when we can actually know him? So here's the thing about knowing somebody. There's, there are different ways of knowing people, aren't there? But one of the best ways to really know somebody is to have experiences with them. There's something about sharing an experience with someone that binds you together. I think that's why worshiping God together is so important for us. Singing together, worshiping God together is a shared experience that binds us together. It's why Dusty and Kim are having this connect group in Dusty's house so that women can come together and experience life together. It's kind of one of the cries of our modern age, isn't, isn't it? People feel disconnected from one another. It's, it's actually a task. It seems like it's a challenge for us to find meaningful connection, right? And the reason why people long for connection is that we need that sense of togetherness. It gets rid of that aloneness, right? Another way to really know someone is through laughter. Do you love to laugh? Anybody in here love to laugh? Some of the best memories I have in my life are times of deep belly rolling laughter. Have you ever just been in that space where you've lost control of your senses because you're laughing so hard? We tell, we have, we have stories in our family. Oh, you remember that time when, I mean, we, Amy and I have this one story. It's like 28 years old. I can't even remember what we were laughing about, but we were laughing so hard. We lost our senses. We were falling on the floor, just losing it. And the people that we, we were laughing with, I haven't seen them in 28 years, but I still remember them because of that one good time. <laughs> Laughter is a powerful experience that 
binds you together with somebody. There's just something about unhindered laughter that makes people come close together. People laugh for all different kinds of reasons. And not all of them are good. But there is something truly holy about those moments of uncontrollable laughter with people you love. Christians need to laugh more. I have a friend, Adam Russell. He has a meme ministry. He calls it the memedom of God. And he just posts memes on Fridays. And it's just, I, I don't know, man. I mean, there's a lot of bad things about the internet. But I like chuckling at some good memes, you know. Christians need to laugh more. We need the joy of Christ to overwhelm us. Let that be a prayer that you pray. God, thank you for creating me to laugh. Overwhelm me with your laughter, Lord. You know, there's been revivals in Christian history where the, the most, um, the, the, the symptom of the revival was laughter. I mean, that might be a good thing for some of you. Get touched by the Lord in a way that you just stop, start laughing uncontrollably. You know, wouldn't hurt. Wouldn't hurt. But there is a deeper place still to share with others. There is another way to know someone that most of us would not prefer to go. You can probably feel where I'm headed. But the Apostle Paul called it this. Sharing in suffering. Sharing an experience of suffering. I read all of Romans and Philippians this week. And I was astounded by this one dynamic in both of those books. Romans is like a a theological treatise. And then Philippians is the pastoral application of what he's saying in Romans. But over and over and over, Paul says this thing that goes like this. I am pressing in to knowing the Lord more and more in my life. And the way that I do it is I enter into his suffering. Man, that is a hard pill to swallow. It can be. But I believe that he's really giving us a key to a life that is more abundant than we can ever imagine on our own. There is this intimacy that is formed between people who suffer together, that is probably the strongest bond of all. Have you ever heard stories like war stories about men who have been in foxholes together, who survive that, that situation? It's like they're bonded together for life because they've been in the most extreme circumstance together. Maybe they've lost friends side by side. They've, they've seen people die in their presence. And there's something about being together with another person in the intimacy of, of suffering that creates a bond that is almost unbreakable. 
When we witness a friend or a family member suffering and we run into that place with them, even while knowing it is going to cause us pain, there is a knowing of that person that you get that surpasses all the other ways of knowing a person. Uh, in 2009, Amy and I took our six kids and we put them all in our Chevy Suburban and we drove all the way across the country to California to spend some time visiting our family. And our plan was we were going to stay there for a month because we don't get out to California and see our family very often because when you got a bunch of kids, it's expensive to do. So we get out there. We're there for five days. And in the middle of the night, we get a phone call. And a dear friend in our life has died. And we, we talk about this sometimes. And we go, what were we thinking? Were we crazy? Why did we do this? But we immediately, we packed up all of our kids and drove all the way back across the country to be with our friends in the middle of the worst moment of their life. And I'm not saying that as a feather in my cap. I'm just saying we dove into a place that was so hard and so difficult, but now the existing bonds of friendship, are they're unbreakable because of what we experienced together. We shared in each other's suffering. All right? When people sacrifice their own happiness to carry the suffering of another person, intimacy is formed. When you set aside your own self and you carry the pain of another person, the possibility of intimacy with that person, friendship expands exponentially. When you sit on the suffering bed with somebody who is in pain, you will pay a cost for it, but there is a kingdom connection that is undeniable that happens when you do that. So there is a real, real practical application for us here, all right? To choose to suffer on behalf of another is the most prominent way of truly knowing Christ described in the New Testament. It's the most prominent way of knowing Christ described by the Apostle Paul and the other writers in the New Testament. And I'll tell you why this kind of shocked me a little bit when I was reading through the New Testament this week. When I think of experiencing God, the first thing that I think about isn't suffering with Jesus. It's going to a worship conference where the sound is amazing. All the singing is good. And everybody from front to back is just singing at the tops of their lungs. The presence of God, right? Like you've heard about this, like you've been told this. We should be pursuing the presence of God in our lives, right? 
I actually think that is something worth doing. But the question really is, where does the presence of God show up? And why does the presence of God show up? Does the presence of God show up because the music is good and the singing is loud? I mean, I think he can. But if that's the only place that we're looking for the presence of God in our lives, well, there's about 99% of our life where that wouldn't be, right? But in the world, there's a whole lot of stuff going on that you, you could probably put in the category of suffering. Why does suffering exist? Actually, philosophers have been trying to solve that problem since the beginning of time. The only viable answer to that question right now is nobody knows. We don't know why suffering exists in the world. There's lots of different causes, but why it actually exists, there's not a philosopher or a theologian on the planet who knows why it exists. But God in his wisdom has allowed it. And like God does, he makes things that seem negative. He takes them and he turns them into the very thing that would give us an avenue to really knowing him. I mean, this is why the gospel is the good news. Because it takes the thing that's supposedly supposed to overwhelm us, to crush us, to destroy us. And God turns it into a conduit, a highway, an access point for believers to walk into his presence. I saw a picture of these believers in Ukraine who were at the Lord's table taking the Eucharist in a bunker while bombs are being dropped on them from the sky. And I'm thinking, man, what an incredible testimony of the Lord in that place to eat the Lord's body and to drink his blood and to participate in the presence of the Lord, offering him thanks in this darkest place. Man, what a connection point for the people in that room. What a connection point for those people with each other and with the spirit of God. And you know, there's a lot of people who would be very afraid of that moment. And I honestly, I think some, some healthy fear is warranted. You know, when guns are being shot and bombs are dropping, you might be afraid and that's okay. But these believers in that picture were taking part of the Lord's Supper in the presence of God in a way that was just profound. Over and over, Paul describes the embracing of suffering as the way to truly experience the Lord. He says this in Philippians, I want to know Christ and to experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. And this next line is crazy. He says this, I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Imagine if you went to Hobby Lobby this week and there was a sign on the wall that said, I want to suffer with him. 
How many of us would hang that in our hallways? It's like live, laugh, love. Then I want to suffer with him. But this is a biblical confession that we find in the text. Paul is proclaiming this. He's not shy about it. He says, here's the thing, y'all. I want to know Christ and experience his mighty power that raised him from the dead. How? I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. What is that one way or another? Well, here's what I'm thinking. I think that ultimately he knows that there's a resurrection coming for him someday. But he knows that he doesn't have to wait to ultimately die to experience that resurrection power in his daily life. Because in his daily life, he is entering into the suffering of Jesus. Paul knew that death wasn't just something that happens at the end of our lives. It's something that we can choose to enter into daily as we join with Jesus By laying down our lives for others, we experience him by joining with him in the things that we do. I'm going to give you a really stupid example of how I entered into the sufferings of Jesus yesterday. Okay, this is going to sound silly, but this is how we actually grow, y'all. Okay. My, my son-in-law dragged a leather couch over to my house, dropped it off, and left it for me to deal with. Okay? So I loaded it into my Suburban. It's a heavy couch. Me and Amy could barely lift it. We loaded it into Suburban. I take it over to the Goodwill because I'm going to drop it off. I get there. They come out. They see it's a couch. And they said, we're at capacity. We don't want it. <sighs> okay. All right, I'm a mature Christian. I'm not going to get frustrated right now. So they said, you need to go to the warehouse down Wilkinson Boulevard. It's only seven minutes away. So I put it in my maps. It was not seven minutes away. It was 20 minutes away. So I drive over there, pull into the thing, and guess what? They don't want my stupid couch. And... I just could feel this American entitlement rising up inside of me. And I began to like argue with this young man who was obviously the messenger sent to tell me that they didn't want my couch. And, And as I began to like give this guy a piece of my mind, I heard the spirit of the Lord tell me to shut my mouth. And I... It was like, it was like a moment for me. I got into my truck and I was like, oh, this is me growing up. This is me becoming a Christian. This is me actually becoming who I am by the work of the spirit of God in my life. Now that sounds silly. It sounds like, but you know, we win by degree, don't we? We gain by degree. So when Paul's talking about suffering, he's not talking about the kind that we don't have explanations for, like tornadoes that rip through cities. He's talking about the kind when your wife or your husband speaks to you in a tone that you don't appreciate, and what you really want to do is put your dukes up 
and go toe to toe with that fool. Right? But you hear that still small voice in your heart, in your head that says, right now, the best thing for you to do is just to shut your mouth and be a Christian. Doesn't that sound counterintuitive? Like, doesn't that sound counterintuitive to the right thing to do? You know, this is, this is an interesting thing about the Lord's work. What the Lord is doing is counterintuitive to what's going on in the world. Right? So, so Vladimir Putin, he did the math. He wrote down the logic of what it would take to stay in power, to gain more power, to, to, like he did this math. And, you know, there is, there are, Jesus has terms for entering into his kingdom, okay? One of the things that he says is, murderers cannot inherit my kingdom, right? So, I mean, you can repent of murder and you can be made right with God, but if you are actively engaging in warfare, guess what? God's probably not pleased with you. It is possible to not be in the pleasure of God. God always loves you. His sun is always shining on you. The rain falls on the just and the unjust, but it is possible that you can have some immaturity in your life that needs to be changed. And if you don't think that's true of yourself, well, you might want to read the New Testament. Because over and over, Jesus calls people into his work and he has these terms of surrender. He needs us to give up the things that we are holding on to so that he can have his way in our lives. And sometimes that conforming feels like suffering. I wanted to argue with that kid who wouldn't take my couch. I felt the frustration of not getting to do that. You know, when you do the right thing, it's not going to necessarily feel good when you're making that choice. Right? You know this. You teach your kids this. You make the right choice because it's worth doing. You know, we, we are not, we are saved by grace. We are not saved by our good behavior, but we do prove what we believe by our behavior. This is the way it works. Following Jesus, you change. You don't change into what you want to be. You change into what he wants you to be. I said to myself, I was not going to yell this morning. I was going to read this message and I was just going to be super calm this morning. But man, you cannot hold a good preacher down. That's just the way it is. In Romans 10, Paul writes this. Listen, you guys. We are God's children. And if we are his children, then what belongs to him belongs to us. We are together with Christ as heirs of glory. But if we are to share in his glory, we must also share in his what? Suffering. Put that in your prosperity gospel pipe and smoke it. If we are heirs of his glory, we are also heirs of his suffering. 
There are many kinds of suffering and there are many unanswered questions regarding why suffering exists. But the kind we are talking about is the kind that Christ endured because he loved and showed us how to truly love. So Jesus shows up on the planet. I mean, you know, a lot of people have this uh, kind of like nebulous idea about who Jesus was. Like he was some uh, peace-loving guy who was just all about just making things calm wherever he went. But the fact is, everywhere he went, reality was disrupted. Everywhere that Christ walked, reality was disrupted. And the things that were coming out of his mouth and the deeds that he was doing was shaking the powers and principalities of that day. And when you begin to disrupt powers and principalities, guess what happens? There will be backlash. There will be pushback. Those powers and principalities, they will come after you. That's what happened to Jesus. And what Paul is drawing us into is not being afraid to disrupt the ways and means of this world by going into the world and acting the way Jesus did. One way to share in the suffering of Christ is to give grace to people who do not deserve grace. Amy and I had lunch yesterday. We, we live on the west side over there and we were eating lunch at this place called Toucan Louis. It's on Rosal's Ferry Road. Some of you all probably don't go to Rosal's Ferry. Anybody know about Rosal's Ferry Road? Yeah, I love Rosal's Ferry. But we were, um, within, within about the span of an hour, we, we interacted with a number of individuals who were, um, I don't know how, how to say it, but they were, they were boys, but they were dressed as women. And, and, um, and I just, Amy and I just began to speak about, I mean, we could just feel the love of the Lord for these people, these, these dear, precious ones. And, and we were just, we were talking about how, how can we engage, how can we engage in kindness and, and in tenderness with folks who, I, I mean, I, I don't really even know how to talk about this, but I just felt the love, the heart of the Lord for these people. And I started thinking about, you know, I mean, this is like the most obvious riff you can make about Jesus ever, but it's worth saying Jesus was always hanging out with the people that society said was the worst. Jesus was always going after the ones that the religious people had counted out of the glory and the will of God. All the people that the, the Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes had determined were out of the house of God. Jesus went and drew a big circle around all of those people and said they get to be in. 
And if you do that, if you're a Christian and you do that, you're going to take some flack. There's going to be people who take exception to you. But that is worth doing. That's, that it, it's, it's worth sharing the love of Christ with people in a way where they don't feel undervalued or cut down in their humanity. It's worth doing, right? We want to be a people who are extending grace to everybody, even to people who other people who say they're not worth receiving grace. I heard a preacher say this. Grace is one way love. One way love lifts up. One way love cures. One way love transforms. One way love is the change agent of life. We are very good at giving the kind of love that is two way, the kind that where there's expected reciprocation, the kind that is returned to us in some form. But to love like Christ is to embrace the ongoing practice of losing your life, losing your life. To give grace to someone is to love someone even when you know it's going to cause you to lose a piece of yourself. Can I, can I just say, I, I'm almost done. I literally have four lines left in my message and it's 12.08. But I want to say this. I want to give a little bit of context to this word this morning. I believe that you should draw healthy boundaries in your life. And I believe that self-care is a good thing. And I believe that taking care of yourself should be a priority. I mean, Jesus often went away into the wilderness to pray. He often drew away from the crowds and didn't do ministry. He, had, he was really good at drawing boundaries in his life. Okay? So hear that before I say what I'm about to say. You can do too much self-care in your life. You can participate in so much self-care that you actually go backwards, lose the plot and actually find yourself much emptier than you ever have been. In fact, I would even say this. The meaninglessness that is hanging over the heads of our generation, that sense of not belonging, lack of identity, and lack of satisfaction, actually exists because people do more self-care than they do self-sacrifice. I know that sounds like a hard word, but I think it's worth saying this morning. We see in Jesus a man who emptied himself to his own detriment for the sake of others. And that is the suffering that Paul is inviting us into. The New Testament is calling us into a life, not of self-care, but one of self-sacrifice.
to give grace to actual people in your actual world is to choose to enter into your depletion, your costly offering, because the grace we give is not always well received. It is often rejected and there is the potential that we will lose something that is precious to us. You guys can come up, Sam. And I think the really good news of this is this. We don't have to be afraid of suffering, right? We don't have to be afraid of paying the cost. Because, I mean, Jesus endured the cross for the joy that he was going to receive on the other side, right? But, but I, I think this about Jesus. I think that even in the seasons of Jesus's life where he was going through extremely difficult things, there was a river of joy that was informing his heart, informing who he was. And what was true of Jesus, what was true of what Paul was connecting to, is true of us today. Amen? Why don't we stand up together? I really, I really do appreciate the Bible because it is simultaneously supernatural, miracle-filled, and also highly applicable to our lives. And there is a real journey into growing in to Christ-likeness in our lives. That's what we're called to this morning. Jesus, we are so thankful to you that you poured out your life. You you showed us how to be human beings. You showed us the path to fulfillment and to meaning. And Lord, there's folks in this room this morning who are in impossible situations. They are stuck between a rock and a hard place. They're between the pestle and the mortar. And what we want to do right now, Father, is ask you to show yourself to us in that hard place. Our prayer, Lord, is that you would conform us into your likeness, that you would make us into your image, that we would become more and more like you.
Lord, we ask that you would take us not to greater levels of your presence, but that you would take us to these smaller hidden places where we can hear your voice so that actual change can happen in our lives. And where we were bitter, that we would begin to soften. Where we were cynical, that we would take a degree towards belief. Where we were unkind towards someone, we would take a step towards kindness. Where where anger was consuming our hearts, Lord, we ask by the working of your Holy Spirit that you would begin to soften our hearts. Soften angry hearts. I just invite you right now, I'm getting a sense that there, there's some folks in here that where anger is the issue. And I just want to invite you just to, just to offer it to the Lord right now as we're just standing in his presence. Your, your anger might even be justified right now. But I just invite you to put it on the altar before the Lord right now and ask him to come heal you. been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.